Well, Chris, uh, it happened. Uh, as people have been asking for weeks, months, maybe a year. The Lions are starting over, everyone. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Chris Burke. Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years. Uh, as we've established already, this year will not be the year. However, the Lions are starting over, which for most of you, I think, was really all you wanted for Christmas. So, Chris, how are we doing before we get into any of this? Uh, it's an active time. There's a lot going on. But um, really, the question or questions, I guess, 1A and 1B that were hanging over this entire year have been answered. And, you know, fresh start time for the Lions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it... The fans obviously wanted it uh, selfishly, yeah. professionally. <laughs> yeah, yes, we yes, kind of had yeah. run into a wall for the mm-hmm. types of things we could talk about with this team just because, uh, you know, they didn't turn the corner. It had been two and a half years of pretty much the same thing. Every loss uh, mm-hmm. looks similar, and, you know, the wins uh, happen every once in a while, but it, it just felt very familiar. And the last two games, as, as uh, Sheila Fordham said in announcing this move, you know, the last two games really were kind of the straw that broke the camel's back a couple terrible efforts the one on thanksgiving just was Mm -hmm. i mean that was just a bad performance and so yeah it should be interesting here there's uh this isn't exactly a a a dream job people will be walking into with the way this roster is going to be set up but i think it had to happen yeah we'll get into that uh on the show here momentarily uh all the all the stuff that they've got to sort through here but you know first and foremost um Chris, the, the Patricia era and the Bob Quinn era, and I think that you know it's important to really get the timeline set here for folks you know who go over and review this sort of thing. Obviously, you know Bob Quinn got here before uh, Patricia, and you know we've been over this the Fords, you know the transition they were in as a family and everything else. You know when Quinn was hired, but the Patricia era really, uh, you were there at the very start of it. Uh, I was, you know, I started with the Athletic and started covering some Lions stuff last year, so it would have been year two and. You know, all I, all I heard from you guys was, you know, it seems like they're trying to be better this year, but last year was a complete disaster. So, 2018, you know, I think we can safely say <laughs> yeah. with uh, hindsight that you can't start a regime by, you know, coming into a building and just getting everyone hating you within the first within the first six weeks or whatever it is, and then hope that it's going to rebound especially after you've struggled on the field I mean you know kind of walk us back as much as you can or as much as you want to on what it was like at the beginning sort of what things happened that were sort of irreversible maybe what things were were Patricia's fault maybe what things weren't his fault uh, because it seems like there's kind of a perfect storm here but certainly a lot of it was probably controllable um, you know from Matt Patricia's end early on in his tenure here. Yeah I mean it was it was rocky sort of by design, I think. I mean, the part of the right. reason that they brought yeah. him in was to um, shake up the culture, for better or worse. And obviously, it worked out <laughs> yeah, uh, going the wrong yeah. way. But, you know, that and that was, you know, I tweeted out Thursday something about um, that looking back. You know, a lot of people are now kind of looking back on the Jim Caldwell era and saying, well, they shouldn't have fired him. You know, that. Sure. And I think that there's... Um, there's probably an argument that they could have been a little more patient there. Or they could have given him a different GM to work with. I mean, certainly Bob Quinn <laughs> right, <laughs> kind of right, carries right. through the two regimes. But, I mean, I think at the point that they were at, you also, if, if we go back to week 17 of the 2017 season, you can understand that one as well, too. Because, you know, they had a chance yeah. to make the playoffs that year. They got just, they lost to really six really good teams. They got blown out by Baltimore. Um and they they kind of rolled over against Cincinnati like it it just wasn't clicking they you know the the locker room atmosphere was 
significantly better than what it became under Matt Patricia. But I think some of that was the, you know, ownership mm-hmm. and especially Bob Quinn looked at it and said, well, it's a little too cushy. It's, mm-hmm. People are a little too friendly in there. And so they brought in Matt Patricia to just <laughs> be oh, that yeah. guy that you know, everyone be Belichick, hates, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. be Belichick, be like the Herb Brooks. Like yep. if they hate me, they can't uh, hate each other. Um yep. And obviously it didn't work. And, you know, one of the reasons it didn't work is because it alienated a lot of the best players. You know, they brought in all these Patriots guys who understood what they were getting into. They had a bunch of guys who just, whoever the coach was going to be, were just, you know, like Matthew Stafford, is just going to keep showing up at the same time every day, putting his head down, grinding through it all. It doesn't matter whether he's got Jim Caldwell or Matt Patricia or whoever the next coach is. He's Mm -hmm. the same guy. But... You had all these guys, Darius Slay, Quandre Diggs, Ashawn Robinson, apparently, <laughs> you know, yeah. Glo- Glover Quinn, especially, you know, um, you know, a lot of these guys who not only were fan favorites, but were sort of big figures in that locker room. Um, and you kind of lost them early on and, and it became kind of tough to navigate there. And I think obviously, you know, it's hard to talk about the start of the Patricia era without mentioning that. You know, he hadn't even coached a game when the uh, the reports that he'd had the uh, you know sexual assault right. allegations uh, back in '96, I think it was. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so that really, uh, you know, he kind of turned against the media at that point, and so we had a whole year of him just him hating everyone outside the building and everyone inside the building not really liking him. And so it kind Jesus. of spiraled yeah. uh, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, and that said, I it, it's, it's sort of baffling in my mind to think back to, you know, that first year that it was kind of clunky. Um, they went 6-10. and 10. The second year, I think back to they won in Philadelphia. They were 2-0-1. They had that home game against the Chiefs. People mm-hmm. were just, I mean, that place, Ford Field was going berserk that entire game. Right. Like, it felt like a legitimate potential turning point. You know, they couldn't pull it out of the fire. They lost to the Packers. It's it's sort of baffling to think back to that moment against the Chiefs and how it kind of all unraveled after that. Because at, as of week, you know, as of 55 minutes into week four of the two, 2019 season, it felt like there might be something here. And yeah. then nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's weird because, you know, obviously I wasn't here in 18, but, you know, from all things that everyone could gather, you know, they still went, they went six and 10. It wasn't what anybody wanted. But, you know, they got really nitpicky with, you know, some of the Belichick evaluations that I like to call them. I mean, it was very familiar to if you've done any reading back on uh, Belichick's era in Cleveland. Um, you know, he goes in there and makes a lot of really eyebrow raising decisions that sort of like you said I mean it's upheaval stuff it's stuff that changes a culture it's stuff that at the time maybe it doesn't look like it's exactly what needs to happen here but maybe it's for the betterment of the franchise either way and the only way for that to sort of play out to everyone is if you win and so he starts out six and ten and they're sort of making some weird decisions as we've we've talked about it they did it even that year too like you said they, they start out okay then Stafford gets hurt but also you're trading you know, the digs trade and then the nitpicking and then like, I can't get along with this guy and I can't get along with that guy. And at some point, you know, that stuff, you can do that if you, if you win and he didn't. And I think that that's the, that's the deal. I mean, you said it, there were however many games into that 2019 season and, you know, they got the win against Philadelphia on the road. 
Um, you know, they're in the game against Kansas City. They beat the Chargers. They got the tie. They played pretty well in that Arizona game. So they start out pretty well, and then they're right there, right? That that was going to be a 3-0-1 situation if they got a fourth down stop on Mahomes going into a bye week. And if you get a win on the other side of that bye week and a one-point loss against Green Bay, you know, then if you're Patricia, you tell anybody in the locker room still complaining, I don't give a shit what you have to say. We're win- we're 4-0. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I don't care what you... And then it works, right? Then it starts to work. But you, it, but you lose a one-point game on the road Monday night at Green Bay, then you can't hang on in in a game against Minnesota that if we look back and say, I think that that was a game that they were in and just couldn't hang on. They get the win against the Giants, and then Stafford gets hurt against Oakland. They had opportunities in that 3-4-1 and one start to flip that thing and, and have a really good start. And then you, and again, I'm telling you, you just look around the locker room if you're Patricia and you say, look, I've got Trey Flowers over here that I brought in who's buying in. I've got some other guys who are buying in like if you're not on the train slay or whoever else like that's a you problem but it didn't work that way they just kept losing and so slay and these guys are like it's not a us problem it's a you problem and so that argument becomes you've made all these decisions that are really weird and really piss people off for reasons that are hard for them to see in the moment and then there's nothing on the other side of it and then you make everyone even more upset when you start in with the what we think there were a lot of problems here at the very beginning. We need to rip this thing apart and start it over. And it's like, no, man, this is not Purdue. And I think that that, you know, it's not the Big Ten. You know, this is an NFL team. And I think that in a lot of ways, you you nailed it. The, the first however, however many games there in 2019, in my opinion, the first like five or six, that's Matt Patricia's era decided right there. If that had turned, those first seven had looked differently, we might be talking about something else right now, but we're not. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Yeah, and just to your point, I mean, Glover Quinn, um, it was, I don't remember when it was in the 2018 season. It was somewhere fairly early on because it, the other thing that happened was, you know, Matt Patricia came in um, and the practices in training camp right. looked a lot more intense than they did right. under Jim Caldwell. You know, they built the hill in the back mm-hmm. of the practice field so that everyone, you know, they could go at the end of practice and run up the hill. And, and things were going to the maximum allotted time that, right. you know, the, the CBA would allow them to practice for. And so there became this narrative that he's overworking them and, and you know, they're, they're just, the just players aren't going to appreciate this and they're going to hate it. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of that, to an extent is ridiculous that you know guys are going to be in training camp like oh we're this practice is too hard i mean if that's if you're saying that that's those are the guys they wanted to weed out that first year anyway um so there certainly was some design there but you know glover quinn said something in september or october of that year because the questions has already started you know does this lost locker room trust matt patricia has he lost (laughs) guys in here and first camp he said um he said you know, guy, pretty much what you said. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something yeah. like, um, "Everyone's always happy if you're winning, and everyone's mm-hmm. there. You can always find people who are mad when you're losing." And right. so I think that that that's exactly it. If they come in and uh, he just put them through this really tough training camp, and then they go nine and seven that first year, and eleven and five the second year, suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, yes. that people who are on the outside, like you're saying, the guys who are saying, well, this isn't working. They look ridiculous, and they look like malcontents, and those are the guys you don't want in there anymore. And, yeah, it obviously didn't go that way. Um, and, and as we've talked about, I mean, I think they certainly played hard last year in going 3-12-1. and one. Right? David so. Blau at quarterback, I mean, just guys out of lineup all over the place, they played hard last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can say the same this year. I mean, I think these last couple games have looked like a team ready 
for their coach to be fired. And yep. um, once you reach that point, there's really no coming back from it. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think of Sheila uh, Fordham's press conference the other day? Because she said mm-hmm. after week, you know, whatever, what week are we in? After week 10 or whatever, when they were 4-5 and five and had beaten Washington, yeah. apparently she thought they were still playoff bound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so what do you think of her, her press conference? Yeah, I mean, they made the trade for Everson Griffin, so I, I suppose in that sense, you know, it, you know, it told us that they were at least going for it. But you know, that deep in, I don't know if that's, you know, like you said, that's that maybe that's not, maybe that's her just being nice, maybe not. I don't know. I think ultimately, when you look at the season and the reason to fire Patricia in the middle of the year as opposed to waiting to the end was, you know, at least in my eyes, I don't know if Sheila would agree. Maybe she would. Would be. You know, we've talked about this so many times. I mean, the refusal to to budge off the plan, and that's ultimately what gets Matt Patricia in the end anyway, is his refusal to compromise ever on anything. I mean, the offensive plan was terrible. Their offense is better than this. And like you said, I think that guys got frustrated as time went on with, you know, if this is all we're going to do, and that, it was the same way last year, uh, defensively, Slate would talk about that all the time. If, if this is all we're ever going to do and could just continue to get beat at this like a drum with no adjustments, then what are we even doing here? And that's what it felt like offensively this year. So... So it makes sense to do it in the middle of the season. And, you know, Sheila's, I mean, I, I don't know. I I think she was, you know, she, she admitted to us pretty quickly there that, you know, I'm not going to have an answer for all of your questions today, uh, which is understandable. Uh, and that's not to say that she has no plan. And that's not to say that she has no, you know, her or Rodwood or both don't have any kind of, you know, working blueprint of where they want to go. But, you know, those answers are, are going to have to reveal themselves as the year goes on. And they're going to have to spend the next, you know, month here. Uh, getting their ducks in a row, so in some ways it's a little a little uncomfortable, right? Because you're like, boy, I really wish we would have heard more of a plan today, uh, because I feel like you've had more time to put one together. But at the same time, I can understand why she's not wanting to divulge anything because you know, look, Chris, this is going to be a really competitive situation. Okay, there's a couple teams already. You know, Jacksonville just fired their GM yesterday. Houston and Atlanta already have an opening. I think there might be more, um, and there could be more coming. Uh, this is not something where you just go out and say, well, Eric Bieniemy is the best coach available and Mike Morganzi is the best GM available. We're just going to go hire them. Uh, I don't think so. There's other teams with better rosters and better situations. And so when we talk about a plan, ugh, like that's the really big thing here. And that's just still the thing that, you know, I left that Zoom that we had with Sheila still not really, I was, you know, I don't know if nervous is the right word for them or whatever you want to call it, but uncomfortable in my faith that they're going to be able to get the people they they need to be talking to to pick up the phone and really give them a good listen. I just don't. I just don't know if, I, and I don't know that they won't, right? But I just, uh, I'm having a hard time, based on all we heard in that Zoom, and then based on the fact that you know Shields pretty inexperienced, and Rod Wood is also as or more, more or so inexperienced, and it's just that's the hang up for me right now. Is 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 the plan good enough? Is there a plan there, or is there, or is what we see so far all it is? And if that's the case, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit like, eh, I don't know if this is going to be enough. I think it's hard to have too much faith because we've sort of seen right. how this works. And I, you know, I don't want to bury uh, Sheila because this is her first search as, you know, the principal owner. So maybe it will look different, but mm-hmm. it would have been nice uh, to hear some level of, well, we've been, you know, we spent mm-hmm. a couple of weeks calling, reaching out to people, whatever. And um, I guess you probably can't do too much of that while you still have a coach and GM in place. But, you yeah. know, they, they certainly have a lot. Uh, a lot to do here and you want to have 
I mean, you'd like to have a GM in place as close to the end of the regular season as possible so you can get your coach hired and not lose this offseason. I mean, this is you can't do like you did with Patricia and wait around until after the Super Bowl to start hiring people because then you, mm. I mean, that's too tough a window, especially I don't, I have no idea what the combine is going to look like or the senior bowl or any of that stuff this year. So um, the earlier you can get on this, the better. And as we've talked about, as you said, there's just not, it, it's Sheila and it's Rod Wood. And I don't really know who else is part of this decision group at the moment. It doesn't right. sound like there's too many other people. Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, so which means, you know, they're going to be asking the NFL for help again, or they're going to be hiring a search firm. And we've, you know, you've been through enough coaching searches <laughs> to know that those search firms, uh, yeah, take a lot of money and then just give you the most obvious names. Right. Anyway. So I don't so, know how like, much help you're getting there. The search firm thing, you know, and I'll say this, I, I think in, in the case of Sheila and Rod Wood, a search firm would actually, if they're not going to hire anyone, right. If they're not going to hire a, a third person here, to help them, um, a search firm in this case would probably make the most sense because, you know, like you said, I mean, they're going to have a list of candidates, they're going to have contacts, and they're going to give you the ability to sort of navigate the search um, as confidential as possible. That's like the biggest thing that they can give you is the ability to sort of move without people tracking you or every move. That's kind of a thing nowadays, although sometimes, as we've seen, that can be <laughs> some people can be more successful at that than others. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, no, it, it ends up being the similar problem like you said i mean the search firm is going to come back and say well here's you know here's the top seven guys you know on each side of this gm coach that you have to talk to and there's a very real possibility that all seven of them are like no i'm good maybe not all seven but i mean you know if we're talking top two or three picks you know and choices of what you want to do you're talking guys like you know borganzi or ed dodds or uh the dude in baltimore or some of the guys in seattle i mean the organizations that you're looking you're looking at here have got to be the ones that have had success in the draft like we've talked about uh, a lot of the guys that we wrote in the gm in the gm list um were from those organizations you know places that have had good draft success the bills have a lot of guys right now that are right on the fringe and guys that you you know you could look at and say you know guys who've had success in other organizations and with buffalo so there's a lot of that but there's a lot of guys that also have options, and a lot, there's a lot of guys that have good jobs right now. You know, I mean, a guy like Ed Dodds in Indy turned down Cleveland last year. They wanted to interview him. He didn't even interview. So it was like, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing you're working against here, and that's kind of the, why I think we both agreed, like, NFL aid is not, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, that's not, I don't know why, that's not helping you, you know, land the person. Maybe that's helping educate you on, you know, who's good and who's not. But helping you land a guy, you got to recruit now. I think that that's what's going to happen here is you're going to have to right. be able to recruit, yeah. and that's that's why I look at this and say, like, boy, I really wish. And you know, the one thing that's hanging in the back of my head, Chris, is that Sheila did say, um, you know, that they are looking into. You know, she said that no no plans today as of right now to uh, do anything with change anything with Rod Wood's job. But they are. She she did say they're looking at some organizational structure changes. I don't know. What all that means, you know, I, I don't know if that means necessarily hiring another, you know, football executive to help you recruit, you know, better people. But at the same time, you know, I feel like that hire needed to be in place already or like right on the right on the fringe. So, you know, my gut here tells me is that it's going to be Sheila Rodwood and like you said, probably a search firm and maybe some help from the NFL. And that's going to be it. And I just don't know if that's going to be enough. Yeah, and uh, you know, not to just keep reiterating points that we've talked about and you've written about specifically, but mm -hmm. I, I mean, it feels like at the minimum they need 
an advisor, you know, a, yeah. an advisor to the owner, advisor to the G, whatever the title is going to be. Yeah, who's going to um, be here? Who's going to be here after the hire's made? Yeah, and so, I, you know, there's, I don't know exactly who that person is, but there's certainly, you certainly could go handpicked or at least try to handpick someone uh, who would give you more of a leg up than just asking the NFL to send Ernie Acorsi or whoever the, yeah, the right. you know, advisor of choices this year. Um, again, I don't know who that person is but i think you just i think you just start calling around and seeing you know there's probably some ex-lions that you mm-hmm. could cycle into that sure. mix um maybe you call tony dungy and see if he wants Something. to come help you you know just someone who's done this before and maybe even isn't coming in to be a full-time guy but just is going to help you for the next three months get through mm-hmm. this and and sort of put this on the right path because yeah, I mean, it is. It doesn't. I mean, I guess it's okay to say we're going to be talking to a ton of people, but that to me also doesn't inspire a lot of no, confidence because you need to have some sort of direction, like now, like you yeah. need to have some sort of direction when you fired these guys to know what the next step was going to be for you. And I don't know that, you know, their next step was okay. Well, now we start the process, but, uh, yeah. The process should have been in place. I mean, I think that's the point I'm trying to make. The process oh, you yeah, should have at yeah. least had some idea. You didn't have to say, "All right, well, let's go behind their backs and get everything ready for when they're gone." So we have a GM and we have you know what coach we want and all that. You don't have to do that, but I think you have to have like you have to just as the owner in general at all times. You know, Bob Quinn used to say said he used to walk around with a list of. 10 or 12 coaches he could <laughs> call right, of course. like yeah. if his Any coach minute. fell apart yeah. and right. and, uh, and so I think that as the owner as the ownership group there should have been something like alright we're going to fire him here's what our first step is and, mm-hmm. and again maybe they're doing that maybe they just didn't tell us but it didn't sound like it it didn't sound no. like they were going to get off that press conference and go okay dial up so and so let's get this started it sounded like they were going to say let's call everyone we know <laughs> and see what they say <laughs> and it didn't sound like it because like last year, you know, Sheila Ford, she she met with you guys um, with the beat writers. What was it, November? Right around this time, I guess. When yeah, you know, it was she after talked after about week seventeen, yeah, right. When when she talked about putting forth, you know, Martha was in the room too about putting forth, you know, her expectation for what this was going to be, which she held to. But you know, I, I would have liked to see then, like her leave that room with Rod Wood and and go find a person to come in here to be like, to help provide some oversight, right. To help provide, you know, and maybe she back channeled that, which she might've, you know, and maybe that's something that, you know, she went through. I don't know, but I would have liked to see something like that happen then. And for it to still not happen now, I, again, I, it's just not inspiring a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to go out here and, you know, get this done because Chris, we've talked about this too, going out and hiring a young personnel person, who's like a really, you know, has had a really good run of, you know, college scouting or, you know, what have you, and has, you know, worked his way up into a personnel department and is a younger person ready for a GM role maybe. Uh, and just bringing that person in here and saying like, well, have at it and we'll see you in a year. <laughs> like that <laughs> right. isn't going to work. And we can say, and we haven't really done much on the Bob Quinn, you know, whatever here, but like, and I'll ask your thoughts on Bob Quinn here in a second, but let who's to say if they had a better structure in terms of a someone in between general manager and owner serving at, at an executive level. Who's to say if that person wasn't a more football savvy person that maybe Bob Quinn's tenure might've gone 
a little better. At 39 years old, coming in here without any GM experience, but recommended as a guy who was you know, in a good position to maybe be an up-and-comer, what if you would have brought him in here with some with some guidance? Maybe this wouldn't have gone as bumpy, and maybe this would wouldn't be something that we're still talking about where you got to do both switches today. I don't know. Maybe maybe we would have, but I mean, before we move on fully here, you know, kind of your thoughts on Bob Quinn, and then you know your thoughts on what I just said. I mean, it's, if I'm crazy or not, <laughs> which maybe well, I, I am. I think it's way. I think it's strange because that's almost the one of the biggest selling points for this job is that Lions ownership has consistently said, whatever you want, we're going to hire a GM and then that GM can just do whatever they want. (laughs) And it's totally hands off. And I think that is, that is a big selling point, whether or not they plan to be more involved in the next GM's tenure. I'm not sure. Uh, Again, it doesn't sound that way at the moment, but uh, things can change. Uh, But I do think that that is a big selling point and that's what happened with Bob Quinn in the one with the one exception to that being that they I mean I think we all assume and understand at this point that ownership at least gradually nudged Bob Quinn to keep Jim Caldwell on mm-hmm. uh at the start of and again I think there you maybe could make an argument at the end that uh there were other ways that Jim Caldwell situation could have gone. You could have gone another year. You could have given a diff- different GM. But I think you also look back at that, and I, as I've responded to a bunch of people on Twitter, how many coaches would have survived Jim Caldwell's team in 2000, whatever year it was, before they hired about 2015? 15, um, yeah. When they started one, yeah. one in seven, <laughs> they fired the GM right. and the team president, and they closed all right. But there aren't a lot of coaches surviving that from year to no. year. And so – uh, I don't know. Again, that's another one that I kind of look back on. Would they, if they had hired a different GM and stuck with Caldwell, would it have been different? If they had just said to Quinn, "All right, you have everything. Feel free to fire Jim too," would it have been different at that point? I don't know. I mean, I think that those are some of those decisions that you kind of circle and go back to. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be um, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, it, and it's tough with these to bring in you know, a quote unquote up and coming GM. That's what Bob Quinn was. I mean, he was going to get an opportunity somewhere because of his role in that Patriots organization and how he climbed the ladder there. And um, so I think that one of the things you have to guard against in this next hire is making sure that the vision makes sense for your team and your organization. And it's an actual unique vision and not just, well, this, we know we saw this work in new England. So we're going to try and do it again. And that's, we, from the very beginning, that was more or less what it was, and uh, it didn't translate over. And maybe having another football mind in place there would help with that. But um, I don't know. You and I talked a lot throughout the last year, certainly, about kind of how to divvy up the blame between Quinn mm-hmm. and Patricia for this, because I think there were times where it almost felt like you could separate out and say, well, Quinn did a pretty good job here, and Patricia hasn't developed any of these guys, or yeah. vice versa. Um, do you have any parting shots now that it's <laughs> they've been tied at the hip on the firings i mean do you feel like even looking ahead like it's i'm almost certain matt patricia is going to land a job somewhere as a defensive yeah, coach yeah. at some level yeah. i'm assuming bob quinn will i mean martin mayhew from the lions went to the one of the new york teams as a personnel exec he's now back in, kind of in line in san francisco like if it's yeah, you might get gm interviews this this year frankly i mean he could surface again as a gm so is Bob Quinn going to go back and just go down two rungs and build himself back up? 
Yeah, I mean, that might depend on, you know, his relationships elsewhere in the league that, you know, extend beyond, you know, guys who've left New England and gone elsewhere. You know, maybe there's something like that. Oftentimes, I feel like we see that happen, you know, where a guy leaves place and, you know, a friend has an opening somewhere for him to come in and help and, you know, pro personnel department or something. You know, we could see that maybe, but uh, I think his ladder back to the GM would have to be a pretty long journey uh, at this point. Patricia... Yeah, I mean, I feel like he he probably needs. We talked about this yesterday. I think he probably needs to go all the way back, like for himself as a coach, because he could probably get a job tomorrow if he wanted to. You know, I mean, like Belichick could probably hire him tomorrow to go help coach linebackers if he wanted to. And I think that maybe that's something that he should look at is going back. You know, getting back to the roots of develop, like you said, development, um, little things, uh, working on his relationships with players at a more you know one on one level and. You know, making sure that those are where they need to be going forward. Because I don't think Matt Patricia's like a football idiot or someone who doesn't know anything <laughs> about football. Not at all, actually. I, I think yeah. it's kind of the opposite. I mean, I, we've talked about this many times. I, you, know, you learn a lot, you know, from some of those uh, press conferences we had with him over the years. In certain days of the week, I know, you know, later in the week, sometimes he'd talk about scheme and things. You know, when things weren't so heated, right? In certain moments, and you know, I do think that he knows. Basic, I you know, I think he, I think he's a smart football coach. I think he's proven that, but I think he's also too stubborn and too rigid on certain things, and too this needs to be exactly this way. And when your head coach goes to your GM and says, "Look, I don't get along with eight guys or something like that," get them out of here. Like when <laughs> right. those eight guys are like some of your best players, like that's a Patricia problem. So it's like you know, in, the, in some ways too, that's also a Bob Quinn problem because you're like. And maybe he did tell him, like, you need to get along with him then, Matt, because, like, these are our best players and you need to figure it out. Because it almost felt like this year when they went into free agency, it was Bob Quinn telling Matt Patricia, well, you told me you didn't get along with all these people. This is what the money we have for, you know, moving forward. And the only people you apparently can get along with are guys like Jamie Collins, Deron Harmon, and, you know, some of these older guys who you kind of brought in to to plug spots. And it, it almost felt like Bob Quinn looking at Patricia being like, I don't know what else you want me to do. Like this is what, and so these signings this offseason that were, like, what are they? What are they doing? You know, under the circumstances, like I'm, I'm a little curious to see. Even I don't know if we'll ever find out, but like, what was their relationship like at the end? Because it almost feel, feels like they went from maybe being on the same page with a lot of things to, well, suddenly this isn't going the way that I thought it would. To what do you want me to do here? And like that's what it felt like a little bit at the end because some of the decisions they were making in the offseason in the draft. You know, where it's like, what, what, what's going on here? They're, they're a little all over the place. And so at the end, I feel like it was probably equal blame, equal parts of both. But a lot of it, like you said earlier, was this really awkward push and pull where it was Patricia saying, I need this. And Quinn saying, well, I tried to give you that, but you didn't. it wasn't good enough. So we're going to do this instead. And it's not going to be good enough for anybody. And then, you know, the whole thing falls apart. But the dynamic was strange. It, if they were on the same page the entire time, it was... It was awkward, but I don't know if they were on the same page the entire time. Maybe they were, but it feels like I, you know, you'd know better than I would, but that, that seems like a tough sell. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that they were, I think they certainly were at the start. There were the kind of the chatter coming out of the draft that maybe one side had wanted Okuda and another side Uh had wanted Derek Brown and they both shot that down. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I personally have not gotten confirmation that that happened, but that, you know, that came from somewhere and I guess Mm -hmm. knowing what we know about this regime it's not impossible yeah. that you know they kind of butted heads and and it's also not terrible to to argue about no, guys in the draft yeah. you want um, that. Yeah. but uh yeah i mean i think it, it's tough too to 
because I think there's been some success stories. You look, John Penasini is one that jumps out this year for sure. But then you look at, you know, Logan Stenberg. They were in a like this was a pretty deep draft. They're yeah. in the middle of round yeah. four. And they take a guy that they won't even not even close they, to ready activate yeah. on game right. days when they have enough bodies. And you know, you take Jason Huntley, and mm-hmm. now you're not using him. And um, you know, sometimes some of it's bad breaks. Julian O'Quarter gets hurt again after he's hurt all last year, and yep. Austin Bryant can't stay healthy, and Deshaun Hand can't stay healthy, and all that. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say there's ever been a point where it felt like this really was uh, smooth sailing. And I, I think with Patricia too, and probably with Quinn to some extent. Although again, I think a lot of his decisions were were driven by Patricia. But I think with Patricia, a big part of the process for him now is if he's willing to do this, and I don't know that he is because I think, you know, the ego yeah. uh, is, is a is a big sticking point, but I don't know that his defense is even feasible in the modern-day NFL. Right. If you had every single – I mean, I, I, guess it, I guess it worked in New England at times when you had defensive player of the year, Stephon Gilmore, and you had the exact offense you wanted with Tom Brady running it and controlling the clock and all these things. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it can work. Just let's go sign a few guys. Let's go draft a few guys. We're going to build this thing to be physical in the front seven and and be man coverage. And I just don't know that it works anymore. And so that's going to be a big thing for him too. Is, is he going to adapt at all? Or is he just going to have to go coach in – like, is it New England, maybe Tennessee, Miami? Like, is it just all the New England spots now where yeah. he's going to go? Or does he have a chance I, yeah, to I really assume, get back yeah. in the league? I mean, maybe, right? Like, maybe that's what it is, too, for him, where it's like, you know, relationships with guys that were in New England and, you know, you bounce around and see what happens. That's why I said I think it would be good for him to go all the way back and just be a – I mean, he could probably could be a coordinator. I mean, somebody probably hire him. But, like, I think it would be good for him to go back and just be a position coach for a minute and just see the game, like you said – See the game differently because you're right in that, you know, the game changes at a breakneck pace and you can't be in this like ego headspace to where you believe that your plan is like uh, bulletproof to a point where it can't survive the game's sort of ability to morph at, you know, breakneck speed. And I think that's it. Like you, the best coaches and the best organizations draft and create their rosters in a way that allows them to pivot before it's obvious that they need to pivot. You know what I mean? Like it allows them to sort of move away from one area that maybe, maybe we were thinking about going this direction, but now this doesn't look so good, but we have enough wiggle room with how we've drafted to where we can adjust. And it doesn't have to be like a full on restart. And Patricia had this like very rigid, no compromise plan that left no wiggle room and they didn't draft well. And I think that, you know, there's a reason you see teams like Seattle and Baltimore and, you know, obviously Kansas City's looks like they do now because, you know, of, of how they drafted with Mahomes, but they've also made picks in other areas too, where they've been able to keep the talent level at a pretty high, you know, a pretty high threshold, you know, on the young end too, as you continue through with draft picks, Green Bay is another one. And they just, they change. They It's not anything that you see. It's not anything that you, it's so stark that you see, but they they just morph. They just like sort of adjust on the fly as time goes. And it felt like Patricia's plan was never, ever, ever going to do that. It was going to be exactly what it was at all times because he believed that he had a plan that was going to work against anything. And like you said, I, 
it's too much. Uh, I think it's just too much. And I think unless you're in a system exactly like the one Belichick runs where he has complete control of everything and everyone that walks into the building and he can snap his fingers and you have no choice but to do what he says or just get out. That's the only way it can work. And Patricia just doesn't have that clout. He didn't have that clout when he got here. He Maybe he thought he was going to get it or he thought that he could just walk in and he'd won Super Bowls. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the season. He talks about the call that he makes all the time. Like I, th- I feel like he <laughs> believed that he had more respect Yep. He had earned more respect on his own name than was reality. And I think that that, is, that was probably his greatest error uh, in coming in here. And maybe it was Bob Quinn's too, although I don't know if I ever got that sense from Bob Quinn. I just feel like Bob Quinn was trying to learn as he went and probably made some mistakes along the way, but also maybe got, you know, got a little loose and never had anybody on top of him that was able to sort of get the thing back on the right tracks. And, you know, here you are. Yeah, I mean, I think it was interesting to watch. They only had three drafts together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the first one, the second one, to some extent, you're kind of sitting there saying, well, here's what, you know, we, we do all our analysis and say, well, here's what they need. Yeah. Um, and like the 2019 draft, uh, I, I've written several times now this season, I think TJ Hawkinson can be an all-pro yeah. tight end. I think he can be a, a great tight end in this league. But you're also looking at that draft and saying, well, Hawkinson's probably... That's probably going to be their guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they need a tight end. Like, they really value that position. They like, like, four programs in college football that they sup- they trust above all others. It's like right, yeah. uh, Iowa, Iowa, Alabama, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. Auburn. <laughs> Auburn, yeah. Like, a couple of those SEC. Florida. Like, there's these SEC schools and then Iowa, basically, yeah. <laughs> are the right, programs yeah. they trust. And you're sort of sitting there thinking, like, you're thinking, they're, all right, they're probably going to take Hawkinson. But they mm-hmm. probably should take Ed Oliver or Devin Bush yes. or and get Irv Smith on the back end of it, uh, right? Yeah, well, right. And that was the thing going in. Like they, I, you looked at that draft and said, "Well, here's the way they're going to go." This other way would maybe make their roster better, but not in the ways that oh, they want yes. it to be better. And yes. so now it's kind of you had always had this, you know, kind of butting heads between what they, what they were convinced was going to work and what everyone else saw about the roster. Right. Um, and you know, they, in that, I think that's sort of what you've been saying. You know, they almost had the, and that's been the criticism of Patricia. They, you know, had that like smartest, smartest guy in the room syndrome. Like they, every move they made was, they thought they were one step ahead of everyone. And it was the opposite. You know, they were right. picking up guys that were, uh, you know, cast offs from new England or, Taking some of these, um, Hawkinson. I don't even know that Hawk, I would call Hawkinson a reach, but it, the this where that roster was to take a tight end there over two impact defensive guys. Ugh. I mean, we've seen how that's played out, um, and so I think that uh, it, it it is very difficult to separate out Patricia and Quinn for me. I, I there was a time where I thought maybe Quinn was doing a better job and getting Patricia guys and it just wasn't happening. But yeah. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, it, you, you mentioned it. You look back at some of these draft picks and Tavai and Will Harris and Stenberg and Jason Huntley and like, and maybe Stenberg becomes a, a guy that helps you down yeah, the road. We'll I mean, see. He certainly could right. develop into something, but you know, how many, how many day one impact draft picks did you make? And even Okuda, which we knew was going to be a, t- a tough climb this year, and he's had some injury stuff. And, uh, you know, you really needed 
if you were going to trade Darius Slay, first of all, you need right? Jeff Okuda to be your number one guy or a solid number two, and that hasn't happened. And I think, again, a lot of that goes back to development. You know, I don't know. Mm, yep. Like, how many guys on this roster are better because they played for Matt Patricia's system? Right. I don't know that there are that many. I mean, I guess maybe you make a case for Tracy Walker. Romeo Okwara is probably in there. Um, I guess Frank Ragnow and Decker have developed, but there aren't a lot. There aren't a lot of names on that list, and um, and eventually that just becomes impossible to live with. You just can't you can't fail to develop everyone and be bad at <laughs> your moves yeah. in free agency in the draft and survive. Yeah, I think you you go down the list and you could say even a guy like Walker. I mean, this year hasn't been good, so you know, and that one would be some one where you'd say. That you know, he's a guy that's looking like he's going the other direction, and you don't want that. So it's like he's a young guy that you're worried now that is he is he going in the wrong direction because he wasn't jiving with Patricia. So you know, while you got Amani Awarie's made strides, you know you're you're not seeing enough from Walker, you're not seeing enough from Okuda early anyway, and you know Will Harris is basically just not even playable at this point. I mean, yeah, I mean, and again, like it's also a situation right where it's like if if Bob Quinn is allowing Matt Patricia to have the ability to make draft picks in certain cases. You know, if, if he loved Logan Stenberg so much that they had to have him, well, that's Bob Quinn's fault. Like, if that's the case, I don't know that it is or isn't, but, like, it, he's the GM. So whose fault is it when you take Jelani Tavai, you know, 100 picks earlier than he needed to go in the second round because you thought you were going to pull one over on everybody and be the smartest two dudes in the room? That's all it was. I mean, that's all it ever seems to be. And they did get it right a couple times. You know, Galladay is the one everybody points to. But it certainly isn't with enough success. And I think your point about the development is totally fair. Because I think that offensively, they've had some guys develop. And that and we know that, you know, obviously Patricia gets credit for hiring certain, you know, position coaches and things of this nature. But, you know, his bread is buttered on the defensive side. And Jared Davis, my man, like, not working out. And uh, it's not even close to buy, not working out. <laughs> Harris, well, not you know, on and on. Yeah, not to interrupt you, but no, I, mean, I think that that's um, as I circle back to the the point I was making about Quinn and Caldwell and the organization sort of forcing them into this uh, this partnership right away. I mean, I think you go back and look at that, and I don't really know what point it served if Bob Quinn's goal always was to bring in Matt Patricia. If that oh, yeah. he was he was just waiting for a window to bring in Matt Patricia because I think after that first year. And even into the second year of Matt Patricia's tenure, you know, if you talk to you talk to people in that building and they tell you that some of the reasons that they, you know, you weren't seeing the results on the field is because they had to go back and rebuild so much of what Jim Caldwell had put in place, or they mm-hmm. had to change so much on the, you know, uh, about how their offensive line functioned. They had to tear everything down and build it back up. And I don't, I don't think that was how they pitched it to the Ford family when they were hired. But I think it also, again, goes back to what were you doing as an organization in 2016 yeah. and 2017? I mean, I think, you know, you got uh, Decker, Taylor Decker out of the 2016 draft, which I think you can chalk that up yep. as a very out. good draft pick at that point mm-hmm. or at this point. But, you know, you're drafting Sean Robinson mm. and Davis and all these guys who um, tease Tabor. Carry on. Like there was a huge disconnect between – Bob Quinn and Jim Caldwell to the point that I th- I don't even know that Jim Caldwell had any say mm. in those roster decisions or in those draft right, decisions. Yeah. I think it was just 
here's, here's the deal. You know, yeah. here he, he just told Quinn, "Here's the type of defense we're playing. Here's the type of offense we're playing. Do whatever you want." Oh, and God. And so you end up with Bob Quinn spending two years of not really giving Jim Caldwell the players he wants, but also not really putting in place the pieces that he's going to need whenever he gets around to hiring Matt Patricia. Right. And so 2018 becomes this weird influx year. You don't pull it off, then you're still stuck in 2019, and now you get to 2020. And the roster on offense, I think there's a path forward, and I guess we can talk about this as we uh, kind of move towards the end here, you know, what this looks like from here. The roster you could, on offense, you can see a path forward. This is a mess on defense. It is a complete mess. I don't know what this is going to look like for the next coach because I, there's like one or two long-term starters on that on that defense. And that's if Jeff Okuda becomes what he wants you, what right. you want him to become, and, and maybe Tracy Walker rebounds or or Warrior continues to develop. I mean, there are not a lot of spots where you're feeling good headed into 2022, 2023. So, uh, and I think a lot of that goes back to just there was this very the whole Quinn era was strange because they they forced the Quinn Caldwell partnership to coexist for two years. Then they finally got around to Patricia, and Quinn just kind of let it settle in between those two regimes. You know, it never really looked exactly like it needed to for either guy. Right. That's a great point. I mean, like, it's it just – exactly. I think that's the best way to say it. It never went the way either probably ever envisioned it, you know, for a number of different reasons and what have you. But moving forward, because obviously that's over with now, you know, there's a lot – going on here okay there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff you mentioned it with the defense like what's going to be there for whoever comes in next um and it, it it's a bigger question because I think the whole thing really has to start with Matthew Stafford and the question of what you do with him uh going forward obviously Chris the contract situation is what it is uh, it seems like next year is I would think that it's a pretty safe bet he's here but at the same time you know it does feel like that whenever this hire is made uh, on the GM side, um, which I think you'd have to do first. I think we can all agree on that. That all those parties are going to have to sit down with Matthew Stafford and sort of figure out what do you want to do here. And I would ask you, sort of, what is your sort of uh, sort of thought process on you know where this could go, where this should go, and, and how you'd handle it. Well, I mean, I think that for starters, you're in the same spot you've been with Stafford every time this has come up for the past, you know, however many years, four or five years, is that. If you're going to seriously consider trading him, you need to have some sort of plan in place to replace him. And they don't right now. There isn't a guy. I mean, David Blau is not going to be your franchise quarterback. Chase Daniel, I'm not even sure he'll be on the roster next year. But if he is, he's the same thing he is now, which is just a stopgap. Or I guess if you trade Stafford and just say, forget it Mm -hmm. for a year. Maybe you throw Chase Daniel yeah, you in could. there you could. as a you know eight or nine game starter, and you just go rookie. the yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick route. Um, but I mean, I think that uh, that's still the the probably the biggest task facing the next GM is what you're going to do at the quarterback position. Because even if you want Matthew Stafford for next year, and I think that certainly that's that should be the starting point. I think you should assume he's going to be your starting quarterback. Yeah, You don't have to come in as a new GM, new head coach, and go find a franchise quarterback. You still can draft one, mm-hmm. um, even if you're drafting one at five or eight or wherever they wind up, because yep. you can, you certainly can make an argument as a new regime 
that you're building for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then you can just sort of figure it out from with Stafford from there. So I think the starting point should be that he's your guy um, heading into 2021. But even saying that, his cap hit for next year is $33 million. Yeah. Um, we don't know exactly what the cap's going to be, but uh, it's supposed to, it's $175 million minimum, and, and then the NFL's going to figure it out from there. But $33 million is going to be a big chunk of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he probably needs an extension if you're keeping him beyond that. So, yeah, I mean, you've got to make up your mind. And, and I still think he's a guy that could bring you a pretty good return back. I don't know that you get as much as you would – um, as you would have a few years ago, but uh, and I think that you've really got to take a look at that contract um, and figure it out because I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense to move him financially. You'd still be leaving a lot of money on your cap for next year, right? But, um, uh, yeah, I mean it, it's going to be a big moment for Matthew Stafford with this franchise. Certainly, he will never come out and say I want out of here. I don't think, but I don't think he would decline uh, oh, no. if they came yeah. to him with a trade proposal and said we're thinking of sending you to wherever Indianapolis or whatever team it is. Yeah. And I do wonder if like, if he would go to them even in a private moment and say, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to see, you know, what else is out there if, if they would explore, explore that more aggressively. Although I do think, you know, your best case scenario here, it seems like to me anyway, would be draft a guy this year, you know, maybe even in the first round, um, stash him and say, you know, and try to make it work for a year with, with staff, I guess. And, and say, we're gonna let you learn from him. We're gonna we're gonna see if we can transition this the best we can. Um, you know, we'll see how he plays. We'll see if you know Stafford's got enough in there to you know keep that value. I don't know, but I mean that seems like the the easiest perfect world scenario. But oftentimes those don't work out the best. You said, like you said, I mean, how long do you go before you know his value is just not getting you anything? But I don't know. You know that all depends on how he's gonna play and everything else, but. You know, I think we would be in agreement, right, that, you know, quarterback probably needs to be taken in this next draft. I think is that, I mean, are you on that same page? I don't know where, but, like, it feels like you probably need to, I said the other day, I mean, I, I think you need to explore all options here in this draft at quarterback, and that includes what it's going to cost <laughs> to get up and get one of these guys at the top. Because I would think all of it would have to be on the table here in this case scenario, because you're starting over, and, you know, unless you're trying to say, we're bringing in somebody because we want to, immediately try to get this, you know, a couple moves here and see if we can get to nine and seven or 10 and six and sneak it. You know, is that the right move or do you just go get a quarterback in this draft and try to start over? Yeah. And I think that that's a big part of the conversation too. I mean, if you think you can figure this out and again, offensively, I think they could be a really good offense next year and, and maybe even carry you to some wins if you let them Yeah, (laughs) And this organ, you know, this coaching staff hasn't really let them, but I think, you know, you kind of go back to that talking point. So if if you think you can be competitive next year, then you probably want Matthew Stafford around. I don't know that you're going to go find a guy that, uh, the you know, we've seen Justin Herbert's been great for the Chargers. They're not winning a lot of games. Tua's been all right for Miami, but, you know, they kind of bounce him back and forth between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it's working. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that you're not exactly uh, – you're not drafting someone, I don't think, it in the top 10 next year and immediately planning to go win the division. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think they have to draft one. I mean, uh, although I've been saying that for three or four years that yeah. you probably should get someone and, and figure it out from there. I, I think it, this has got to be, this has got to be early though. I'm not saying you go take someone in round five. Yes. Like you've got to take someone 
on day one or day two mm-hmm. that you really believe is going to be your guy at some point in the future? Because regardless, even if you keep Stafford and you sign him to an extension, I mean, he's going to be right. 33 next year. He's been banged up for however many years. You go back to <laughs> that Chiefs game we were talking about. I didn't, he, I didn't even know if he could walk mm-hmm. around the field that day. Yep. <laughs> like he's been banged up for two or three years. Um, so I don't think that there's a long, long shelf life for him remaining in the NFL, uh, regardless. So I think you've got to find someone, even if he's going to be your guy, I, I just, I think you've got to fully commit to it. And I think this is the opportunity because I think if you looked at these past two drafts as saying, we've got to take some guys that'll help us win right now, you know, whether or not they accomplish that or not is another topic, but we got to take some guys that'll help us win right now. It doesn't leave you a lot of room to go take a developmental mental backup quarterback. No. Um, now you have that window. You yep. could do whatever you want in the top 10 or wherever you're picking and chalk it up to building it the way you want to build it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just – there's quality quarterbacks in this draft too. I mean, it feels like – it feels like there's – there's going to be guys there. I mean, they're at what nine right now, somewhere in there. I mean, I guess we'll see mm-hmm. how you know what Daryl Bevel can do in this in these last you know several weeks, and we'll see. You if know, they're going to win like two or three. <laughs> right. and we'll see if he runs the like we said seventeen. We'll see if he runs the Varsity Blues offense uh, and gets that done. But I mean, like obviously, you know, you're going to have a hard time probably getting up to one or two here. I mean, the Jets. And Jacksonville are both going to need a quarterback, I would assume. Um, I would hope that both of them are probably looking at drafting a quarterback. And Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields are maybe going to be too difficult. So I guess it would depend on, you know, maybe what you would think on, you know, a Zach Wilson or a Lance. If you don't think that they're your guy or whatever, I guess it would depend on that. But um, all op- the bottom line is all options, all scenarios would have to be uh, on the table here. And I assume they will be. But before we get out of here, Chris, I, I do want to... The, the GM candidates, the coaching candidates, we put a bunch on there. Um, you know, we, we struggled with, like, how do we put – should we tier these? You know, I don't, that, that's kind of difficult at times to do as well. <laughs> but as you sort of go through, you know, these names on both sides of the ledger there, I'm curious, you know, which ones jump out to you? And then which ones would you call realistic and which ones would you say maybe would be, uh, you know, an uphill climb to get, I guess. Where, where are you handicapping this in terms of guys you like, maybe guys that you wouldn't – or, you know – if they're looking at X, Y, and Z, maybe the situation isn't going so well. I mean, how would you sort of handicap where this is going? Well, I think you mentioned where they should start with the GM candidates, yeah. which is you look at the – and they did this with Quinn to some extent. So, I, you know, you <laughs> right. kind of approach it with trepidation. But you look at these organizations that have done uh, really well in the off seasons, have a couple guys who have been near the top mm-hmm. for a while now and – are probably ready to, you know, run their own show. And I think that's Borgonzi who, I mean, I think every team with a GM opening is probably calling about right. him. Um, Baltimore's got a couple names. You mentioned Dodds, mm-hmm. uh, Trent Kirchner in Seattle is the one that comes up all mm-hmm. the time. There are a couple names in Seattle. So Fitterer, yeah. Fit, yeah. Um, and Buffalo too. You said mm-hmm. Buffalo, you know, Brian Gain, Lake Dawson. So, um, I don't want to just list yeah, off yeah, every yeah. single name we would, but, um, I think it'll be interesting whether they go that way or, you know, I I guess the other way is to, you know, there's some other names out here that are guys that have been around, um, Elliot Wolf and Uh uh, Rick Smith, I guess, Reggie McKenzie. Reggie McKenzie one is interesting to me because I think he did a really good job, you know, 
he he took over that that team was a disaster when uh-huh. Reggie McKenzie took over and he was very aggressive at fixing the salary cap and trading for draft picks and everything and um you know he kind of got pushed out when Gruden landed there but you know someone like that um who's had experience and if you're approaching this as we need to do a a, a 180 from where we've been yeah uh, someone like that would be interesting. Um, but a lot of this, I think, is going to go back to your point, though. Who is is Mike Borgonzi taking the Lions call at this point? I don't, know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you have these guys that have been waiting for GM jobs and can pick whatever opening they want. Is this the one <laughs> that yeah. you want? Um, so I don't know. And then, you know, from coach, you obviously would like to find someone who's going to mesh with the GM. I mean, I think, and again, it's going to be the names that we've heard a lot. It's going to be Robert Sala. It's going to be Bienemy. Um, I don't know that Eric Bienemy would want the Lions' job. Right. You know, um, Arthur Smith. I think is another one. Like we just saw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Titans' offense looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you worry a little bit about not having Derrick Henry if he moves somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, you know, there are certainly our coordinators that are, are going to make sense and, and we'll get interviews here. So I don't know. I mean, how how daring do they need to be here, I guess, is the question. Because I, I think going with someone like Reggie McKenzie or Thomas Dimitrov or something, there's some security in the fact that they've done this before, even if it didn't end exactly the way those guys wanted right. it to. Right. So do you feel like you need to get back to – something semi-familiar, something that's almost a known quantity at this point, or can you go hire another one of these up-and-coming guys? If one of those guys, if uh, McKenzie or, um, you know, like Dimitrov or one of these guys that have done this before and had success had success, and then, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't last, um, Rick Smith obviously probably isn't in that bag. He stepped away for personal reasons. So if you can get one of those guys and you can follow that up with hiring a like the best possible college scouting department you can find then I think you're in the right then that's fine um that would be you know maybe easier said than done but the appeal of hiring one of those younger guys that's kind of the up and coming is is exactly that it's that you know Borgonzi Dodds uh some of the guys in Baltimore or Seattle I mean these are guys who can draft these are guys who know you know they know how to get a pretty decent hit rate in terms of you know Making sure, look at look at how Seattle drafts. Look at how Green Bay drafts. Look at how Baltimore. Uh, you know, over the years, you can look at you know capital versus return. You know, I showed you that chart. Football Outsiders has a great chart up there. If you want to go look at that, people can find that pretty easily. It can be confusing to look at, but it gives you a pretty good idea of you know value versus return. And those organizations up there, they always have it because they have the college scouting departments who can get it done. You don't build a team in the NFL these days through free agency. You've got to do it through the draft. And you know, I think Bob Quinn might have might have been more expertise in the other area where pro personnel scout rather than maybe college college scout. I would rather have a college scout. But at the same time, I can understand to where maybe you don't have a choice with some of these younger guys because you're not going to get them, you know, maybe, you know, you only get one chance, right, for the most part. So if they're going to only get one chance and Houston's sitting there, that's a better situation for anybody involved uh, than the Lions right now. So that'd be difficult to, to maneuver against and it'd be about your recruiting pitch. But if you have to settle for a, a guy who's done it before, you know, as long as as long as his scouting department is really really good, I think you're going to be okay, or at least in the right direction. But you know, that's where the whole thing kind of comes down to me is um, the coach. You know, yeah, you want a good coach. I would prefer an offensive minded coach. 
There's a lot of those guys out there uh, who can do that for you. I, I wouldn't be against Robert Sully if he could, you know, also bring in somebody who's capable of, although I would still, again, prefer an offensive coach. I think that's where the game is. I think that's where it needs to be. But ultimately for me, the coaching hire, I don't want to say it's secondary because it's not, but you have got to get this GM thing right because football is still football at the end of the day. If you don't have the guys, then you're not doing anything. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what you're doing. That's a that's that's just the reality of it. I mean, if you don't have the guys, it's not going to matter. And you don't have to have the best team in the league in terms of talent, you know, top to bottom. But you have to be able to, to get value at every draft. You can't miss. You can't have half your draft be just a complete wash. You know what I mean? So that's really where it comes down to for me. I think that they have to be as aggressive as possible in this GM situation. They have to look at all avenues. And if that includes, you know, bringing in other people along with, you know, multiple people, whatever that is, I don't know. But, you know, the GM thing and the front office thing is got to be where this all starts and stops because if you can't operate properly in a draft and I mean my god uh, last 15 years Chris only times they've really hit on the draft is when they've had massive amounts of draft capital they've got to have somebody who can come in here and properly scout right well would you and they don't have massive amounts of draft capital they don't they have five no. picks yeah, this right. year um yeah. would, would you be nervous at all I mean because I think there's a lot of pairings here you look at you know Borgonzi and Bienemy and mm-hmm. uh a couple of Buffalo guys and Brian Dayball, mm-hmm. their offensive coordinator, and um you know, Ed Dodds and, and Eberflus in yeah. Indianapolis. Like would you be nervous at this point to go do, down that road again? You you interview one of these yeah. GMs, he says, I this is what my vision is. I think I'm gonna try and get so and so to come with me because I know he can execute this vision. Uh I think we should target him as our primary guy and we're gonna do the whole reunite the band thing again. Do you have any, does that make you wary at all? Uh, as you yeah. had it? And I'm not saying all these GMs would come and yeah, say, yeah, I need yeah, to I hire the guy who was with me. But yeah. if, if they do, if you end up with an Indianapolis GM and coach, are you wary at all about doing that again? That's a great question. And my answer is kind of like yes and no, because in some ways that's just how football works, right? Like you're going to want to surround yourself with the guys that you trust the best uh, sure. and yeah. with these jobs. And I think that that's certainly important. Uh, and if and if that person is truly the best candidate, then you know that's fine. But yeah, no, I would be a little concerned with that because yeah, I mean, I'm not hiring you to come in here and recreate the Chiefs, or you know what I mean, or do something because that's impossible. We're not going to also bring Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill. That's <laughs> right. not going to happen. So I would expect you to come in here as a GM and be able to properly evaluate all coaches and just be able to, you know, so if that's the case, if we go through all of the stuff and we go through all the interviews and we evaluate everyone and you still think if you're Ed Dodds, you come in here, let's just, this is in theory. And you say, well, Iberflus is still the guy. Well, okay. Well, if we've gone through all the process and he proves to be the best candidate, then I have no problem with that. But if it's like he comes in here and immediately like Quinn, I mean, he came in here and it was like an immediate, even though he wasn't allowed to, Everyone knew. It was like, he's just going to hire Patricia. That's what he's going to do. And maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. But that was the situation. It was like a plan they'd hatched years ago was what it felt like. And no, that wouldn't be something that I would be cool with because you're closing yourself off. I mean, you're, again, I mean, that would sort of tip the hand of you just hired someone who's coming here to sort of reverse engineer something, something someone else invented, which is just like, you want to have a knockoff, crappier version of that thing? Or do you want to have a new thing (laughs) that's your own? Yeah. And I think that that's, the conversation that has to happen here, and that's where this all goes all the way back to the start, 
Is Sheila Ford Hamp and Rod Wood in the current scenario, are they capable of evaluating a situation where you truly are making a hire with someone who is capable of coming in here and starting everything from scratch with, you know, a proper plan from top to bottom? Or are you bringing somebody in here who's telling you they're going to do that, but really they're just going to go copy something that they've just seen and try to get it, you know, try to get the recipe exactly right. And at the end, you're going to wonder why it tastes like something else. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the question that I have. And I don't know if we have the answer to that. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's tough, right? Feels like a good point. It feels like a good spot to end it. And uh, it'll be, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see, I guess as we head out, I'm curious to see what this looks like the rest of the way. Yeah, me too. Um, If Daryl Bevel is just going to, like you said, if we're going to see the varsity blues offense, they're just going to throw caution. If they spent this Monday Zoom with the players just What do you guys want to do? What what play do you want to run? (laughs) Anyone want to play quarterback? Uh, Or if it's just going to look the same um, on offense and defense, because I think that would... Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that that would tell us anything. But I think if it looks vastly different, it would say yeah. more yeah. about Patricia um, too. So uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what the last five weeks look like and mm-hmm. kind of evaluating the players and the coaches. Yeah, to it see could if you want to bring anyone back exactly because it could give you a pretty good look at you know especially offensively if you just play the young guys. You know, you know, obviously some guys are going to have to get healthy here. But yeah, I mean, it could be something where you're helping yourself evaluate for the future. And I don't know that Daryl Bevel is a candidate for this job or whatever, but I mean, like, you know, maybe there's some guys on the step. Braden Coombs, you know, we've mentioned him as a guy that everybody loves and everything else. I mean, if he goes four and one or something. So I guess who knows, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the bigger thing that you're looking at is, you know, get the younger guys out there. The guys that aren't going to be back, like, you know, Amendola. His role needs to be dialed back now. I mean, if he can help you in certain areas, cool. But like some of those guys, Jesse James, sorry man, like you know, those are con- <laughs> some of these contracts they're going to have to get out of. I mean, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, health is a certain thing. You know, if it's if it's health and that's it, then I, I'm fi- that's fine. But you know, like if Justin Coleman's getting prioritized reps over a younger corner, no, like we, that can't happen because like that's a contract there that they're going to have to figure out a way to get out of. It hasn't worked, and you know, the, those are situations that they're going to have to look at. Going forward as well, and I think that, you know, yeah, I think the next couple weeks could be really, really interesting to see if you just focus on the younger players or the guys that you know are going to be here, you know, where do those guys go in these next couple weeks if they're given more opportunity? Because I think that could be that could be interesting because there are, I think we would agree, Chris, there are some young guys on this team that have a chance. Not slam dunks, but there's some young guys on this team that have a chance, and if you give them a chance... You know, we'll sort of see what happens, but you know, you got to give them a chance first, and I think maybe we'll see some of that in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah, I, it Bears this week. I, I think it'd be. I don't know what the right yeah, word is. I, it'd be a little ironic, I guess, if Daryl Bevel steps in and his first win is over a Bears yeah. team that Matt Patricia just could not could solve. not be against Mitch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this before we, before we wrap up: culture, right? Like. They they did not really have... I mean, yeah, you said it earlier in terms of guys' faith in the plan was waning and everything else. But I don't know if I'm getting the sense that, like, Patricia being gone is all of a sudden, like, the principal that everybody in the fifth grade hated just got fired, so now it's going to be a party at lunch. Like, I don't know if that's going to happen here necessarily. Like, I'm curious sort of where the, where this locker room is going to be at going forward. I think it'll probably be fine, I would think. Uh, are you agreeing with me on that? Uh, like, And then your kind of thoughts on... Obviously, you don't know who's going to be here one way or the other, but we talked about it at the very beginning, you know, the culture of, like, I can't have a coach that yells at me, 
that that's bad. You can't have that either. Right. Yeah. And it right. feels like in some ways maybe the locker room is better right now than it was three years ago in that sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I wasn't in that locker room three years ago, but I, I I don't know. Maybe it was already there anyway and they just didn't see it. But it does seem like now you've got at least you've got guys in the room that aren't they're not complaining that they have to work. Maybe they're complaining that it's not working, but they're not complaining that they have to grind. I mean, that doesn't seem to be the case with this group. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad locker room. Not I think at all, the no. mesh between the locker room and Patricia maybe yeah. never got there, but I don't I mean I think that they between I mean Stafford as I said is one of the toughest hardest working mm-hmm. players in the league, so that gets you a, a good starting point. I mean, and I think some of these guys that they brought in certainly like Amendola, I mean the coaches not just Patricia, but all the coaches love having him around the younger receivers because right. he sets such, such an example. Adrian Peterson. I mean, a lot of these guys that they brought in are serving a purpose beyond like squeezing this scheme into exactly what Matt Patricia wanted. So I think it is. I think the locker room will be fine moving forward. Um, I, I mean, it is going to be a, a a tough off season. There's a lot of decisions to make. A lot of these guys are not going to be back. So that that always puts things in a little bit of a tricky spot heading down the stretch i i do think daryl bevel will have a fine command of it i mean they certainly the special teams guys certainly respect Braden coombs i think i mean i do think bevel's a well-liked guy yeah. and they have sean ryan at quarterback's coach who keep it on track and um you know i i don't know a great deal about the relationship with Corey unlin because we've never been in the building since they hired <laughs> right. Corey unlin as defensive coordinator but i think bevel um is a well-respected guy. I know um, just from talking to people that he is very excited about this opportunity. Mm-hmm. He's fired up. Like they just texting with some people in that organization yeah. the last few days. Um, you know, I told you I had, I had one guy, yeah. uh, one person in the organization text. I asked him like how people were feeling, like what's the mood now? Are the guys just going to limp to the finish line? And he texted me back. Uh, the clip from Major League of let's just go win the whole effing thing. Like, that, I think that's the mentality yeah. that the coaching staff is taking now. Like, whether they can get the players to come along with that or not, I think we'll find out starting Sunday. But I think that they're taking this as, all right, this is everyone's shot to show us what they can do for yeah. five weeks. Let Let, there's no pressure. Patricia's gone. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about you know clashing heads in the locker room anymore. Let's just go have some fun for five weeks and see what happens. And so I think that just by taking that uh, you know that out of the equation, taking the pressure out of the equation, it yeah. should be fine. Yeah, I would agree. I would think you know go let it rip, see what happens, and we'll go from there. Well, hopefully sooner than later we'll have some uh, clarity or answers on where this is all going and. Maybe our concerns are null and void, and Sheila Fordham's got a great plan, and maybe she does. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But in any event, Chris, uh, we'll be back next week to talk about this Lions-Chicago game. We're not going to talk about Lions-Texans, because why would anybody want to talk about that at this point? (laughs) We're past. In any event, uh, we appreciate everybody for downloading, listening. Uh, Give us a rate and a review. Uh, Subscribe as well. If you have uh, a place where you listen to podcasts where you don't get one of these years, let us know and we'll try to get that worked out. But uh, in any event, thanks for listening. For Chris, I am Nick. We'll talk to you guys later.